from the Inclusive Activism Podcast, and I wanted to share a podcast that Michelle and I did for uh, Revealing Our Stories America. We'd actually talked to them a few weeks ago, and we felt like it was a really great conversation. So this, without any further ado, is that recording from Revealing Our Stories America, and I really hope you enjoy it. Thank you. I've Hi, friends, and welcome back to another segment of Rose America Speaks. Um, If you're new to our program, once a month, we try to once a month, interview dynamic, inspiring educators who share their experience of teaching in today's public schools. And I just want to say that my friend Shelly and I, uh, we co-founded Rose America, which stands for Revealing Origin Stories of America. Uh, It's a 501c3 nonprofit to deliver professional development programs to help educators teach our country's complex, multifaceted history through the origin stories of people of color that who've been made, who have made huge contributions, but have been largely left out of our school textbooks and curricula. So if you want more information about us, you can go to our website. That's rosamerica.us. That's spelled just like it is behind me, R-O-S-A-M-E-R-I-C-A dot U-S. Shelly, tell us about our guests. Yes, um... And I also wanted to say we uh, interview educators in public schools and colleges. In this <laughs> That's who's with us today. Yay! So uh, first, let me introduce Michelle. Michelle Dew serves as a communication faculty member at Gateway Community College in Phoenix. She holds an MA in communication studies with an emphasis in advocacy from ASU. Her areas of focus include identity, active listening, interpersonal relationships, inclusion, equity, and nonviolent communication, which I'm also familiar with. In addition to teaching, Michelle serves as a diversity and inclusion facilitator at Maricopa Community Colleges. Michelle is also a volunteer on the Healing Racism Committee, a group that facilitates public dialogues around topics related to racism, Arizona communities, and American society. Rowdy Duncan, Michelle's husband, is a mixed race native and has done a lot of work around colonization, decolonization, and indigeneity. Rowdy has been in the JEDI field, JEDI stands for Justice, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion, since 2001. He is also an expert at non-hierarchical leadership and is currently a residential faculty member at Phoenix College and teaches in, where he teaches interpersonal and intercultural communications. Rowdy has led myriad workshops on issues related to colorblindness, to interest-based negotiations, to nonviolent communication and conflict resolution, to positive masculinity, and seeing people as possibilities. Rowdy is also an active member of the Healing Racism Dialogue Public Dialogue Series, along with Michelle, and is a winner of the 2008 National League of Cities Promoting Inclusivity Award. Welcome, Michelle and Rowdy. So, Rowdy, I'm going to start with you. Tell us how you got involved in this work. Um, so, back, uh, I worked in a men's rape prevention, because, like, if you're going to prevent rape, you need to get men to stop raping people. Uh, and part of that was learning uh, a little bit more about, like, patriarchy, systems of oppression. So I went to a training, an Anytown training, uh, which is uh, an organization that's been around since the mid-60s here in Arizona and across the United States. That was my first brush with it back in, I want to say, 2000, 2001. I went to a director training. And then I got 
hired at the Maricopa Community College District uh, around 2007, and they have a training called Mosaic. It stands for Maximizing Our Strengths as an Inclusive Community. Uh, and uh, I did that. I learned how to facilitate that in 2008. And then I, at the end of that training, you're asked to think of what can you do to change the world for the better. And I was like, this is amazing for staff and employees, but students need this thing. And so I created a group of, uh, I worked with a group of folks to ideate what would this look like? And we thought not only should students take this, they should also deliver it to other students. And so Michelle was one of the first students to ever go through that mm. way back in the day and was part of the program that we made called Diversity Incorporated. And it's really through my work in Mosaic, my work at the community college district, and then also training trainers through Diversity Incorporated that really got me deeply embedded in this work and got me to make my own company doing these things. Yeah. Michelle, how about you? Yeah. Same, same um, question. Right. Like Rowdy said, I was part of the inaugural cohort. So I would like to, like, I wish I was someone who was already driven to pursue these topics, but honestly, it just kind of fell in my lap. Um, when I was at the college, I was going to be staying another year and needed to take some coursework. So I knew Rowdy, he said, well, why don't you do this year long program? And at the time, I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. I had no idea what I was getting into. Um, but, you know, sometimes the best things are exactly that. You don't know what you're getting into until you're into it. So that year-long program exposed me to things that I just uh, had never considered. I, um, I think I was more so of the worldview of like, oh, I'm colorblind. And at that time, I thought that was the best way to be. But going through that program, I'm like, oh my God, that's so problematic because if I'm <laughs> colorblind, I'm not seeing people. So going through that program was incredibly transformational for me. It really set me on a path um, to pursue the communication like discipline. Um, I went on to ASU and got a degree in communication. And then as funny as it sounds, also film and media studies. Um, and film and media studies also played a really crucial role in my development of understanding diversity and inclusion. And I know a lot of times when people hear diversity and inclusion, they don't think of media or they don't think of TV shows and film. But the thing is, those things reflect our society, but they also shape our society. So it helped me learn a lot more about um, how these narratives exist. Then I went on to get my master's degree in communication and advocacy. And during this time, I worked in Maricopa and continued to be a facilitator of the Mosaic program. So I'm still a Mosaic facilitator at Gateway. Um, sometimes I'll go to different colleges and help facilitate those trainings. But one of the things I'm really excited about is I also work with a group of other faculty colleagues at Gateway. And we do a year long program in which now we're helping other faculty members incorporate more inclusive strategies in their classroom. So kind of have been spread out a little bit, but tend to more so focus on higher education with a lot of my work. Wow. I, we So as Shelly and I have been doing this work, one of the words we have heard recently is colonization and decolonization. Those two words that um, have kind of bubbled to the surface for us. And Rowdy, we had talked with you and you were one of the people that said that word after we had read it. And I just I would like to know what you're doing around 
those words. First, explain what it is, colonization and decolonization, and and what your what kind of impact the conversations you've been having around those two words um, has wrought for you. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Yeah, and Michelle's been part of those conversations too, which has been really wonderful having her there. So um, colonization is recognizing this is a human experience that has happened across the globe. Um, Generally speaking, whenever we're talking about colonization, what is normally thought of is the the European and now Euro-American colonization of the world. Uh, We tend to think of British Empire, although Rome did this too, right? However, when you really look deeply at colonization and practices of colonization, this is something that happened before the British Empire. This is something that happened before the Roman Empire. Uh, When you look back at historical records, you can see colonization happen in Africa among African tribes. It happened here in North America when you're looking at some of the practices of Mayans and Aztecs. Um, Like colonization practices happen across the globe. Uh, And really when I talk about colonization, I kind of distill it to two ideas. And that is you're marginalizing uh, a group of people. There's a group of people that are higher, there are a group of people that are lower, and you need that to happen. And the reason why you need marginalization is because then there's exploitation, right? So when there's that hierarchy set up, some people are gonna get more from the work of others or more exploitation of others for the benefit of folks that are higher in that hierarchy. And this practice of colonization is the threat that happens within these spaces, the mind and heart space, really. Um, Some groups of people have been more effective at colonization historically, but the practices of colonization are something that happens everywhere. And being a mixed-race person, raised, uh, I was asked to assimilate into whiteness, uh, especially with my background. And when you're a brown person and you try to be white, it doesn't work out great because people keep noticing you're brown. Um, And so I was like, what's happening? I'm doing everything that you're asking me to do and I'm not feeling a real connection here. And so with that, um, you know, native folks, uh, as well as people across the world, notice this colonization practice. And so with colonization, that leads us to the next concept, which is decolonization. How do we undo our, at least stop doing the harm, right? And it's good that we're talking about decolonization because you need to figure out and identify where the harm is and how the harm happens uh, to at least stop that thing. Um, and so decolonization is really looking at and systemically seeing where's marginalization, where's hierarchy, where's exploitation happening, who's served and who is not served, um, and who's, um, you know, how are practices of colonization happening in organizations. Uh, There's a concept that um, a lot of my friends, like my indigenous friends, have helped me look that's beyond decolonization, which is now, which is uh, called indigenization. Mm -hmm. And that is, how do we reimagine this system, not just doing don'ts, because you can't really do a don't, right? (laughs) What do you replace the don't with that looks highly relational, which is not exploitative? which really recognizes the inherent wisdom and being of all relations, not just humans, right? Like, because, you know, we need trees, we need air, we need food. Uh, We need to take care of all those things because we're truly an interdependent systems. And helping folks see that we're all suffering from colonization, not just people of color, like white people have suffered from colonization too. I get to say that as a person of color, um, just to know, like, if you're a white person and you say that, (laughs) because <laughs> uh, that could be problematic. 
Um, but it's no, nonetheless true. And so what I'm trying to do is bring as much decolonization and, and indigenization to as many spaces as possible. But it's nice because I think indigenization is a personal uh, thing that you have to take upon, right? How do you create and make a relationship with the earth? And it's nice because, you know, being in a marriage relationship with my partner here, Michelle, like she's a great example of like someone that just takes her time to try to like create that relationship and shows that that work is possible. And I really appreciate and see that stuff. Do you want to talk about what you were doing or what you did last year at Phoenix College? Yeah, we did a series of workshops around that, like helping folks see and understand colonization. Um, the first one was like seeing and understanding colonization and how coloniz colonization practices has stifled or limited indigenous knowledge from coming into spaces. We then worked on, well, what is decolonization? How does decolonization work and feel? And then lastly, we looked at what is indigenization and how can we do more of those things? And in those workshops, it wasn't just me and guest speakers talking and teaching. It was us co-creating spaces of learning where everybody is trying to make this goal move forward. Um, and it was something we were really proud of. And there's, uh, you know, Scottsdale's looking at maybe bringing that forward in the future. Uh, so hopefully we'll find more work in that area. Um, not, not just for me, because there's a lot of healing that needs to be done in this space. I'm just wondering how, how do you distinguish colonization from like white supremacy? I know you said that white, you know, all of us are subjected to it, you know, victims of it or you know not even aware of it but i wonder if there's any distinction there and i, I say this because I, I was just thinking about maybe i'll tell you what the background is um you know in my in, in my other life i do public relations that's my profession and i have a client and i you know i've worked in the corporate world for over 20 years and what i notice about that environment it's predominantly white is there's uh what i call the mistake culture and so there's, you know, there's, and it's a way of sort of dominating, you know, you made a mistake and some of the mistakes are trivial and some of them are grave and, you know, there's different degrees, but it's a way of, of dominating. And I guess I, I mean, maybe this is a stretch, but I think of this as, that's a form of colonization, in my view, like controlling through fear, you know, the fear of, oh, I'm going to make a mistake. I'm going to forget to put, you know, a period at the end of the sentence. I mean, it could be like that. But there's this power, it feeds this kind of power. So I don't know if you like have anything to say about that. Mm -hmm. Kind of like perfection. Yeah. Yeah. But I call, I call it a mistake culture. Okay. And where, where you know, basically white men um, intimidate women more than men, because men don't make mistakes. <laughs> no offense, but oh, white men. So that's the message. Okay. So there's this kind of, um, like you, you live in fear of, I see that with women, you know, there's a bit of a fear of, oh, if you're paying, you know, if you're paying then and you make a mistake, I'm holding you hostage. I don't know mm -hmm. if that makes any sense or resonates. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I feel and think uh, like so colonization is kind of the name of the disease. It's white supremacy and patriarchy are symptoms of the disease. Uh -huh. right? okay. So like, you can tell you got a problem with colonization because you're seeing symptoms of white supremacy. You're seeing symptoms of patriarchy. Um, but yeah. Michelle said something utterly brilliant about white supremacy and perfection and then like how those two kind of tie together to uphold one another. 
<laughs> I'm not sure it's it's just me who said this. I well, think I've heard it from um, But the idea that you know this fear of making mistakes or this pursuit of perfectionism is white supremacy in action, because the idea of white supremacy is this idea of an ideal that, and we know that that doesn't exist. Right. So I think that's yeah. what you're mm-hmm. referencing. Yeah. 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 It seems to be more. You know, it's it's very. Um, apparent in the corporate setting but i'm guessing any institution any you know a classroom a teacher has that kind of dominance absolutely i mean well i attended the indigenous um workshops last year and because it's open for staff and it's open for faculty and i was so appreciative of those opportunities because it made me reflect on my own practices made Mm -hmm. me reflect on like for instance, my late work policy or my absence policy or how I have students turn in assignments. Like, does it really need to be a paper or can they just record themselves answering the questions? Ah. So it's looking at, okay, how am I myself perpetuating this colonization and the structure of a class and what can I do to combat that, to make it more like a more indigenous way of doing practice? So... Example of or your indigenization, the new word I just heard right now. So that's an example of you. Mm-hmm. In, okay, sorry to interrupt, Shelley. No, I, no, I was just going to say, you know, it's like the we were talking about this in a previous conversation about kids lining up single file versus right. yes. being in a circle. Like why? You know, all these things Guilty. that. Uh, <laughs> well, it's not, you know, it's 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 unconscious, right? Where it's like the water you swim in, you know, fish. What water? You know, it's, 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 um, you know, you don't even see it. Right. And it really relies on that, right? Like, well, we have to get people in line. We have to put people in rows. You have to just sit there and listen. Right. And we have to give you tests. Um, Right. Indigenization and indigenous learning, like back in the day when it was time for us to go to the classroom, we just went off into the world and did things. And we'd be like, what's going on with that tree? And I'm noticing these things change. And right. we talk about science and weather and philosophy and all these things as they come up. You know, you don't necessarily need to learn in a box uh, and you don't need to be tested. Like, uh, you know, I had an earlier conversation with Lisa talking about how like theater is a way of like learning lessons right mm-hmm. like and we learn lessons by telling stories or acting things out right yeah. those parables sometimes are the most powerful ways of learning um much less so than like a three-page paper oh, uh, could be on a similar topic right oh, God, yeah. so yeah. and it also it sounds like um that mind or that frame of mind if you're standing in front of a classroom you're teaching science it might be the difference between open your textbook to chapter five, page 231 versus we're going outside and we're going to be observing. We're just going to observe. Yeah. Would that be like an example of the indigenous, oh, yeah. indigenous? Well, and I think also getting beyond the like sage on, was it sage on the stage? Yeah. Like yeah. Um, that we have people coming into our classroom that already have knowledge. You know, like we we think that they like when I'm talking about we, I mean a general we, um, there's an assumption that, oh, you're like this empty receptacle that I'm going to spill this information into, as opposed to realizing, oh, you're already bringing in knowledge in here. So like, let me meet you where you are mm-hmm. and let's explore together as opposed to I'm an all-knowing being, which no one, like no one right. is in that way. Um, but this Again, if we see, if we're talking about white supremacy in more of an educational context, that's where I, that's like an example that often comes to mind is that I'm the authority, I am all knowing. 
and that's just not true. Right. Oh, and students love to be empowered in that way, in a space of learning that, hey, I do know some things and I would like to share. And Oh, God, yeah. And yeah. the teachers, I, I think good teachers do choose to learn mm-hmm. from that setting, from their students, too. We had a one teacher Shelly and I worked with called herself a co-learner. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, it even takes two, like, you know, I've been correct on this too. Lisa, so when I bring this up, like it's an insight that was brought to me. Like even using language like empower, like assumes like imparting power from one space, right? Yes. Rather than yeah, helping someone right. rediscover the power within. Because the power within always existed, right? Yeah. And so do you create an opportunity for someone to remember that power within? and not like assume a need for empowerment, right? That's really where everybody's like on a flat place and we're not seeing someone needing empowerment, right? Like this assuming like people need empowerment is part of that issue, right? Like we should all just be like, remember that power and like bring that into a classroom space so we can all get the benefit of one another's teaching and learning. Okay, but I feel like it takes a minute to get there because you have to establish that safe space so that they discover they have that part because there's so much beating down everywhere we go that it, we are the That's power right. taken from us. Like right now, there's a reason I have this necklace on. I have no power living in this state right now. I have no choices for my body. So I have been told by others, I don't have power. So I think a lot of children and students of any age come to a classroom with that colonization experience um, already. So it's almost like creating a new dynamic that you're asking of us. Mm -hmm. And I was, I'm thinking, you know, how, how do you amplify students' voices? Like if you were Mm-hmm. standing in a, in a classroom or sitting in a circle. I like the idea, you know, circle. everybody's looking at each other. Yeah. Um, you know, I've heard different things that teachers have said. Like one one thing I ought to say, this is one thing that I'll, I want to hear what you want to say, but, um, you know, if a student writes something about, you know, something that they have a concern about, or, you know, feelings about, it doesn't go in a folder. It goes, you know, somebody said they, they put it on a bulletin board for all to see. Um, or they encourage them to, you know, put it on their Facebook page. Like they, that's one way of amplifying voices. Like you, you know, you have a message. It should go out into the world. It's not just for me to grade it. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you say? Yeah, for me, what's so beautiful about our discipline is like it's applicable every single day after every single lesson. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, I feel like we're cheating a lot of times in class because like, you know, when we talk about listening, you know, we can directly get people to be like, what can you walk out the door with and use like this listening concept with? Um, but when you're sitting in front of that group of folks, like they've been listening forever and they've been making mistakes with listening forever. Right? Like, how do we create a space where we can ask them, what do you know about listening? And what are you struggling with listening? Mm. And how do we make a space oh, I like that. more approachable? Mm-hmm. You were gonna say something? I think I was just agreeing with you. Oh. And like going back to what Lisa was saying too, I think some of it is, yeah, absolutely. Our students come into our classrooms and the way like the communication discipline is, you have to engage, you have to interact. Like that's, uh, the way um, I like to explain it is like, you don't learn how to swim by reading a book. You learn how to <laughs> swim, right, by like thrashing about. So we're gonna be thrashing about. So some of it is just um, helping students 
I tell them it's about increasing your confidence, you know, like remembering that you are a competent person. Like, you know, some of these things. It's just a matter of, okay, how can we get you in the habit and also check our automatic assumptions with things? Mm. So, if it's not, I wouldn't say like you were going over earlier, it's not about necessarily like empowering them, it's reminding them. Like, yeah. I'm reminding you that you are already powerful and it's, we are just putting thoughts into behaviors, into actions. Okay. Interesting. Um, like that. What else? What else can we talk about? I, I mean, I, I just, Great you know, goal. to me, this is like a, like a new paradigm shift in, in the whole nature of, you know, one, one to many. And well, and I think that's really what it takes is like, how do you just reimagine everything, right? Yeah. Like, and what I think is, what what is first hard and scary is you like, you have to leave what you know behind. Mm -hmm. And that is hard and it's not difficult, right? And, and it is difficult, I'm sorry. But like, I don't know, when I think about like teaching and learning, I kind of like think about labs, right? Like mm -hmm. labs are places of experimentation and learning and coming, you know, like in the science world, aside from the whole control, predict, interpret. Cause like some things can't be controlled, predicted or interpreted, right? Like, you know, how do you measure love? Well, mm -hmm. it can't, mm -hmm. but we know it exists, yes. but we can't measure it. So science is like, okay, well, we just won't talk about love then. I'm like, well, no, we still need to, right? Um, but how can we create more lab-like spaces? Like how mm. can I tap I like into what they're learning? Mm -hmm. How can I ask them about, well, what do you want to know? You know, like there's things we need to teach. Yeah. But what, like, you know, I've embedded some like lectures, like podcasts into my classes, but when I'm not lecturing, when we're just talking about what you want to learn, I'm having the most fun. I think Michelle does a really great job of like creating like that, that learning space in her classrooms too. Well, and you know, hearing what you're saying, it's reminding me of, I have a coworker. He's like someone I very much aspire to be. And he, he opens, every single semester with, I'm an anti-racist educator and <laughs> I'm gonna make mistakes. And I need you to tell me when I'm making these mistakes and help teach me. And I think that uh, modeling that humility is also really important. It's something I'm still trying to do. Cause again, if we're gonna be challenging um, colonization, white supremacy in our classroom, we need to also show our students we are human and we're going to make mistakes. And mm -hmm. I'm asking you to help me be better in that process. You know, and I'm not saying it's fun. <laughs> like, it is not fun to put your, uh, what's the expression, your foot in your mouth, you know, or to, to step in it, but also letting students know, like, again, I'm not this perfect, all-knowing person. Um, help me learn gives, I think, a safer environment for other people to be okay with making mistakes too. Because we really, like what we try and focus on in our discipline, and I know this is in a lot of like the humanity, social behavioral science disciplines, is we need to separate identity versus behavior. So we, we need to focus on, as opposed to saying like, you're X or you're Y, we need to be like, when you said this, this is the impact of what you said. This is how it made me feel. So again, like if we attack people based on identity, of course we're gonna be incredibly defensive. That's just a very natural survival response. Like that's how we're wired and it's really hard to beat how we're wired. So if we're really wanting to 
better learn or hope that others around us are learning, then we need to be behavior focused, mm-hmm. you know, like, um, like a very simple example, like I, I give in class is like, say your roommate keeps leaving like dishes in the sink and it's disgusting. So mm-hmm. like you being like, you're a slob. Do you really think that's going to motivate your right. roommate? Like, no, because now they're going to be defending, no, I'm not a slut. Like, I've been busy or as opposed to, hey, I've noticed the past few nights you've been like leaving some dinner dishes in the sink. What's going on? Like, and then if it's I forgot or I've been busy. okay, well, what can I do? Like, what can we do to make sure that doesn't happen? So, again, that's a that's a really minor example. But I think that also applies to any type of ist mistake, you know, like when people say something. Mm -hmm that is racist, something that's that, yeah, like that. exactly like something sexist. You don't want to be like, you are, you are sexist. You're a sexist pig. <laughs> that's like, you're really just starting to um, prompt an automatic reaction as opposed to when you said this, like, what do you mean by that? Help clarify for me. I know you talk about it a lot in your classes too. Actually, yeah, I do. But there was a thing I was hoping you could talk about because when we're talking about educators and educators everywhere, um, it was after Lakota did her talk. And you do teach, you do teach in a high school because you have a high school class that comes to you. Mm -hmm. Remember when um, you're the last class of the day and all your students were incredibly squirmy and you know you had to figure out this this practice at the at the beginning of, of class of what you did and like people would watch you do it and they're like what are you doing uh yeah i mean if anyone's taught high schoolers and you're in afternoon class like you know the struggle uh, I, like it is a struggle and god bless them like i completely get i get it because i was exactly the same way but uh i noticed that they were having some issues just staying in tuned in class So talking with them, okay, like we have to spend this time together. So what can we do to help make this better? Uh, And one of the things we co-created together, as silly as this sounds, is the first five minutes of class, we go for a walk outside. Oh, that's silly. That's perfect. Oh my gosh, it works. And you know, what's so great about it. And I have, I've gotten some some positive reinforcement and I've definitely gotten, um, some not so excited <laughs> um, comments about it. But what's so interesting is when they do this, they're not on their phones, they're talking with each other. Yeah. You know, so like it's again this indigenous practice of, okay, like let me um, see where you're at and let's go outside. Let's be in relation with one another. Let's, let's get on the ground. Yeah. yeah exactly. I was thinking and, that. Oh my God, such a game changer. Like, and it's great because they look forward to it. Like they're always, Miss Do, it's time, it's like time for a walk. Let's do it. Like, okay. I mean, I I very much enjoy it. Yeah. So it's not, it's it's not complicated. No things like that that no. Yeah. And they know. They totally know. We just don't ask them. So I think we have time for one more question. And Mm -hmm. I'm I'm gonna ask it. (laughs) which is um so what do you you know teachers in arizona in particular they they are looking at a room full of bipoc students pretty much um in this area i think 50 percent of students are from latin american countries Mm -hmm. so they're going to make some assumptions what do you say about assumptions you know they're going to walk in and say well they live in a particular neighborhood or they live in a trailer versus you know they live in this kind of setting that that means x 
I have to be expedient because I've got 30 students. How do you talk about assumptions and how to free teachers up in that way? Um, well, the Howdy, Michelle. We're all going to make assumptions. Yeah. This is the human experience, right? Okay. So recognizing assumptions happen and it's the name of the game and it's part of the experience, right? We make assumptions and we do this work all the time. The goal is to become aware of the assumptions you're making and hopefully aware of the assumptions you're making as you're making the assumption, right? Um, I don't know where they live. I don't know what their background is. I don't know what you know and don't know. And I don't know if you're interested in this topic or not interested in this topic, right? Like, because we can make like those first impressions on one another really quick. But once we slow down and get a little space to tell our stories and get a sense of what our background is and what do we know and what do we don't know? What do you want to learn? What are you not excited about learning? How can I get a sense of what, where you are and what your background is and what you're jazzed about and what you're not jazzed about? If I can get some information, now I'm using, <laughs> instead of just guessing, like, oh, I think you're in a whatever, and you don't know, create a little space. Um, and it's funny because the solution to the problem is in the room. You know, like, it's funny when it's time to talk about, like, classroom management stuff, like, right? Like, yeah. you don't mean, like, the problem, like, everyone needs to stop cross-talking. Why are we cross-talking right now? What's needing to be discussed right now? Or, I mean, sometimes the assumption is the crosstalk is like, is not related to what's being discussed. Mm -hmm. No, I wish it's it what's being discussed, yeah. right? Like, make that really like amazing and dynamic, right? <laughs> um, but you gotta really be humble mm -hmm. enough to say, I don't know at all. I know you know some things I don't know. I know I need to learn some things for you if I'm gonna teach you effectively in this space but really what happens it's such a breakthrough once you get past the whole like regular old same old thing now you're excited to come to class they're excited to come see you i know michelle's former uh high school students were like miss do you're so amazing Your teachers are we, we all wish they were as good as you and like you know michelle's like i wish you thought that when i was like trying to get you to talk to me <laughs> um, <laughs> But it's, but how do you just slow down, calm down and realize these are really not just students. These are like wise beings that have something to teach you about your, your craft. Uh, that's what I think. Well, I love that. Mm -hmm. I love that. True. Yeah. I mean, no, not surprised. I'm not going to give like a lot of variance in my response because Rowdy and I tend to be really similar in this. I think just letting people know that you are going to assume and you have to move from that point after the assumption. Like, I think where we get stuck on is the denial that we do it, but we do do it. Like, I want to say we've done workshops before where we have different words, like where we say, um, what word comes to mind when we say peanut butter? People say butter. What Mickey, mouse, right? So we understand like we do that. We do the yeah. same thing with people, situations. So uh, yeah. understand, okay, we do these things. And then what can we do to look at our students in a more holistic manner? So for me, at the beginning of every semester, I always have all my students fill out a get to know you sheet. Like this get to know you sheet is questions like, 
uh, you know, what classes are you taking? What are your passions, your hobbies? What, nice. Like, what responsibilities do you have? What are your goals? What do you like? What do you need to tell me that I haven't asked yet? You know, and then giving them the opportunity to fill in some gaps. And I think that's where we often find, oh, I had made this assumption about them. And I didn't even realize I did it until I actually found out more. So it's, again, that humility piece of understanding that we're all in process and we have to be aware and challenge ourselves when we do it and then come up with better interventions to see our students more holistically. And I think we have to also understand it doesn't happen immediately. Like it is a consistent, constant practice. Yeah. You know, yeah. like you've been doing this, like you said, since like 2000, right? And you're still having to work on Yeah. Stuff. So I, th- I think you're right. I think there is this notion like I'll get to, I'll get to the mountain. I'll get to the top of the mountain yeah, and then I'll be no. done. And it's never, <laughs> yeah. Still climbing. So. Anyway, speaking of climbing tops of mountains, <laughs> there's more to, a lot more to say. We're going to have to have you back. Yeah, but, um, you know, we're, this has been wonderful. I, I know we're, we're, we're past the time. and gonna, um, So thank you so yes. much for joining us today and um, for all your wisdom. And we would love to have you back. So, um, No, thank you for having yeah. us and for the work you all are doing. You inspire us too. We'll just be in conversation with us, right? Like, you know, I mean, I know you think we're teaching, but like we've been co-creating the learning in this thing too, right? And that's yes, we have. Yes, we have. Yeah. I love that. That's a great parting words, Rowdy. So thank you both. And um, so I will throw this up on YouTube and uh, let everyone know when it's there. And thank you. Yeah. I'm going to stop recording. Yeah.